Hi everyone, my name is Dustin Pischel, and in today's episode of The Chan Comedian, I chat with John Mulvooney. John is a stand-up comedian, TV and radio host, actor, and writer. As a stand-up comedian, John has appeared 13 times on Comedy Tonight and other TV shows such as Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn, An Evening at the Improv, Hollywood Squares Syndicated, Comedy Tonight Syndicated, Caroline's Comedy Hour, among many other TV shows. John has also served as a host on hit TV shows such as The Late Show, King of the Mountain, Comic Strip Live, as well as the guest host of Pat of the Pat Sajak Show, Pat Sajak Show, and the co-host of Candid Camera. Please welcome the amazing comedic genius John Mulvooney. <laughs> Comedic genius, huh? You're giving me a lot to live up to. Yeah. So, um, it's nice to meet you, and yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, I'm very impressed with uh, your work, and uh, Thank you. I was talking to a friend of mine earlier, telling him that I was coming to do this at five o'clock, and I told him uh, about you. And uh, what are you, fourteen? Yeah. Now, I said, I said, there's this young man who wants to do a podcast with me, and. Uh, wants to be a comedian and he he himself got very excited he said to know what you want to do at your age is 50 percent of the I, I would even say more than that. it's 90 percent of the of the battle yeah. um the battle it's 90 percent of uh what you need to know about where you're going to go with your life and the fact that you have that that passion already and that yeah. drive uh, it's very impressive thank and you um, i'm glad to be here yeah, uh, was the other person also a comedian? No, the other person's also a cop. That's my second job. I'm oh, a police cool. officer. Yeah. yeah. So, um, what's the? So I start off every episode by asking the comedian, "What's the worst heckler you have ever had?" Oh, the worst. I well, they're all in a in a category. There's mm-hmm. a couple of top three worst, but the worst one I ever had actually uh, jumped on stage and attacked me. Wow. This was. Yeah, this was back in, uh, I would say, the early 80s. I was doing a, I was doing a show out on Long Island, and I was working the crowd. Um, this, I hear this voice from the back taking exception with what I was saying, and I said, hey, you know, why don't you mind your own business? And he says, uh, yeah, well, and I'm, I'm going to get on you now. And I said, you're going to get on me? He goes, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to And the whole audience goes, ooh. And the next thing I know, the guy jumps up on stage, and I knew that already this was this guy was going to be trouble. He was missing an eye. He had a T-shirt on of a Japanese rising sun with the sleeves cut off. He had all of these crazy tattoos, and back in the early 80s, tattoos were not a big thing. Anyone who had tattoos was either, a, you know, some kind of a biker or, a, you know, a military guy. So he gets up on stage and i said i thought to myself okay this 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 guy's legit there's something dangerous here so he stood on stage trying to go back and forth with me line for line and every time he did i would just you know ding him nail him and after about a minute or two of that he um he saw that wasn't working and he looked at the crowd and he goes he goes yeah you're a funny guy he goes he goes i like you a lot and he starts tapping me on the chest and i was like the hell is he doing? And he, it was a mis, a misdirection thing. He was tapping on the chest so I wasn't watching his feet. He hooked his foot behind my heel and he just pushed me in the 
chest, real, real, just, just, I was standing flat footed, so I didn't have to push hard. <laughs> and I just fell flat on my back on stage, boom, like a tree. Yeah. And I jumped back up and I said, what the hell is wrong with you? What are you, what's, what, what are you nuts? And he stepped back and he went into this really over-exaggerated mm-hmm. like karate stance and he just stared at me. And the whole crowd, the place was packed. The whole crowd was just deathly silent. Mm-hmm. And I stuck, I took a beat and I thought, okay, well, what do I do here? And then I went, I looked and I said, okay, what now? Mm-hmm. I said, it's all yours. The show's all yours. You've come up here. You've taken over. You're in charge. I said, go ahead, tough guy. You're going to hit me? I said, hit me because there's 200 witnesses here. You'll be putting my grandchildren through college. Go ahead. I said, what are you going to do? You want to tell a joke? You think this is funny? Go ahead. You think you can do what I do? Go up to the microphone and take the show over now. Go ahead. You think you know what you're doing? And the guy got like rattled. I guess he mm-hmm. thought the audience was going to be with him mm-hmm. and they weren't. The audience hated him because yeah. he was obviously, you know, an idiot. Mm-hmm. So he just he gave me this really evil eye and he he backed off the stage real real quiet never said a word he backed through the club all the way to the door never taking his eyes off me he walked backward through 200 people like i was going to suddenly jump over 200 people and kick him in the face he was, and uh he went out the back door and i found out after the fact that the guy's name was uh richie barathy and he was a famous uh, martial arts instructor now keep in mind this is in the 80s before mma became a thing and even you know uh, bruce lee was still like pretty much the only thing on the block back then yeah but this guy created a style of fighting called american combat karate and i guess people still study it but he was the founder of it and this was the guy who was on stage and i was squaring off with and i actually had considered at one point because i boxed for a short time i thought I don't know if this guy's legit or not. I actually thought about taking a shot at him, but um, I'm glad I didn't because I, I probably uh, he probably would have broke my arm or something. But yeah, that was the worst heckler yeah. ever. Do you think he was also like part of a gang member? Like he was a gang member at all? He was not a gang member that I knew of. You know what he was? Well, not technically a gang, not like a biker gang or Hell's mm-hmm. Angels, but here's what he was. Did you know who um, the once heavyweight contender jerry cooney do you know who that is no i do like know of like some heavyweight stuff like more of the modern people like brian shaw but i don't know too much about the past ones ali was still fighting at the time he actually fought larry holmes i think for about 13 rounds (laughs) but this guy uh richie barathy was jerry cooney's bodyguard so that should put it in perspective for you he was a bodyguard for one of the heavyweight contenders of the world, that's that's how yeah. that's where this guy was. So he was he was he was legit, but he was also crazy. Yeah, yeah. he was nuts. He was there's really something wrong with the guy. Yeah. So um, let me just get my other question up. Something just yeah. happened. Good. You did your homework. I like it. I yeah. I heard you reading off the resume. You found that online, huh? I actually like I go through like a few websites and then like. I collect the information, like, by one or two websites, and I create it, like, from what information I think is, like, the best. So, how did you get started in stand-up comedy? Uh, It was a dare that that broke into a a career. Mm -hmm. I actually, um, I knew I was funny. I used to do, I can do great impressions of people. Mm -hmm. I always had the ability to to do voices and mimicry, and... um, 
I would get stopped at parties. You know, people would say to me, uh, started out with friends. They would say, hey, do Joe when he's drunk or do Steve when he's dancing. Do Brian trying to pick up girls, you know, and I would do these little impressions of them. And before I knew it, I had like 10, 20, 30 impressions of, of people that we knew. Mm-hmm. And then celebrities, I would throw a couple of celebrities in just for fun. And after a while, I was standing at any party or if we were hanging out in the park or just, you know, just hanging out with friends or whatever. I would I, I was doing 20 or 30 minutes at a clip doing all of these impressions and voices. And then one day, a friend of mine, we were watching comics on television. A friend of mine said, oh, you're funnier than this guy. I said, yeah, I'm definitely funnier than this guy. I don't remember what we were watching. But he said, and he said you could do that if you, had, if you had the nerve. And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, usually you don't have the nerve to get on stage. I said, I don't have the nerve. I said, I would do that in a heartbeat. I just don't know where to go. And he said, oh, yeah, there's a place right here in Brooklyn called Pips. And uh, I said, where? He said, that place right on up on Emmons Avenue. I said, that coffee house? He said, no, it's a comedy club. I had no idea. It was it was yeah. 15 minute bus ride from my parents' house. And it was there. It, it, it had been there since I was a kid. I had no idea. And I said, well, I got to go in. So I went in on audition night. I signed up. There were 17 people auditioning that night. I would, excuse me, 16. I was number 17. And I, and I was the last one to go on. I was the 17th person to go on. And I think I was the only one who was asked to come back. And this, the next time I came back on another audition, I, I passed the audition. Yeah. And from there on in, I never looked back. Yeah, I'm actually like, I'm doing like, so I perform some stand-up comedy. Like I've been at a few places. A lot of times during the pandemic, I did online stuff. So like I got like, I started to like, I don't like I started like I passed a like thin against ten other adult comedians, but mm-hmm. the the place is in New York and I'm in Massachusetts. But I was like gonna do more stuff, but it then like it ended shortly after. But I'm actually like I'm gonna be performing at a sports bar in the next like on July nineteenth, my stand up comedy. Cool, Are you taping it? Uh oh well yeah, I'm probably gonna record it, yeah. Yeah, you got, yeah, record everything you do. Mm-hmm. That's the fastest way to get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did you become the host of The Late Show? Oh, man, that was, uh, I was living in L.A. <laughs> and um, jo- uh, it's, Joan Rivers was hosting a television mm-hmm. show that was up against The Tonight Show. Um, uh, Jimmy Fallon's now the host of The Tonight Show. So that show originally... The first host of that show was somebody by the name of Jack Parr, who ironically I wound up playing in a in a, a movie with Dennis Quaid. The next host of the Tonight Show was Johnny Carson, and then Johnny Carson started using guest hosts, and one of the guest hosts was uh, Joan Rivers. So Joan Rivers guest hosted for quite a while, and then was asked to do her own show, and she agreed to do her own late night talk show, but she never told. Carson about it so it turned into a huge argument between the two of them and they never spoke to each other again but that being said Joan went on to do the show called The Late Show it lasted less than a year it did not do very well in the ratings but it was on in the same slot as The Tonight Show but just on a different channel so after about a year the show fell apart you know who Arsenio Hall is? Yeah. Arsenio hosted it for a while and then Arsenio 
got his own talk show, the Arsenio Hall Show, and then they scrambled to find a host for the Late Show, and that's where I came in. I just I happened to be in L.A. at the time. I had hosting like skills. I was able. That's you know pretty much the, was my bread and butter. I, I talked to the crowd a lot. I was good with people. Um, I, I you know was typically like interviewing people from the stage in order yeah. to work up something out, out of them to, to be funny. And so I got a, I got on the audition list. Again, they, they put me on reluctantly one night late at a club called Igby's in LA. And uh, they said, okay, we need you to audition for these big shots over at Fox. I Long story short, I auditioned for them. I had a great set. And the very next day, the, uh, the guy who was running the show, a guy by the name of Ron Vandor, called me up and he said he said well i guess you had a good show can you be in work tomorrow and well, that's how it happened yeah so what was it like being the host of the late show you know what uh it was amazing because it was overnight everything you could imagine not even overnight in an instant i mean in a <laughs> blink of an eye everything you ever wanted as a comedian as a performer yeah. was suddenly there. I mean, I flew home from the audition, which happened to be, that's another story. It was, was in Houston at a convention. I flew home from the audition and the next day I woke up and my roommate said to me, he goes, he goes, Hey Mulroney. He says, there's a big limo sitting outside the, our, uh, <laughs> our apartment house. He said, is that, is that for you? I said, that's for me. Wow. And so, yeah, the very next day I got up and uh, the limo took me to the studio and it was, it was amazing. The stuff that they do in, in television <laughs> to put a show together behind the scenes, especially a talk show like that, is incredible. Suddenly I was the guy in charge of uh, maybe a half a dozen writers, a bunch of producers, um, wardrobe, hair makeup uh, uh directors because i was the one essentially driving the ship I, I had no clue what i was doing other than i knew what was funny and my the dressing room that they gave me was probably three times the size of my apartment i mean it was insane it had a it had two bedrooms a living room it had an actual dressing room back then before the internet they had what was called a press room where you would get uh, updates from all of the um, reliable newswires at the time, AP and United Press, you would get, they would have what was called a, a teletype. They were like these fax machines that would constantly just spit out information and news that was going on. And uh, they had a full wardrobe expert. Um, when I got to the studio, they had somebody, I, I guess you would call it an assistant, that was assigned to me and all of the clothing, all of your skin color, like I had to stand on the set one day and I had the makeup person, I had the wardrobe person, and I had the person that does hair and they were all standing around and I, I couldn't figure out what they were doing. They were putting color wheels up to my skin and they and the lighting guy was, was putting different, uh, mm -hmm. they call them gels that you know make different colored light come down from the set. They were adjusting the gels, they were adjusting the makeup, they were adjusting the light, they were adjusting the clothing. And I'm just watching, they're taking notes, they're writing stuff down, and I'm thinking, what are they, you know, what, what's all the big hubbub about, right? Yeah. Well, 
they took me down to the wardrobe. They they fitted me in a in a beautiful outfit. The suits were magnificent. And then they did my makeup and they did they did my hair. And I remember I walked back upstairs. This took a couple hours. I walked back onto the set. And then when you walk on a TV set, like especially a a, a talk show, um, there's monitors all the way around. So when you step on the set you see yourself from all these different angles and it's it's kind of strange because you you're walking in one direction and if the monitor is in in a different direction it actually looks like you're stepping backward it's kind of it's kind of a weird experience but at one yep. point i walked past the camera which i did not know was on and i'm out of the corner of my eye i could see somebody walking on the set next to me and i looked over and i thought for just a second wow that guy's really handsome and it was me <laughs> i didn't even recognize myself because of all of the things they did with the makeup and the hair and the color and the wardrobe when you step on that set or at least what i should say when i stepped on that set that guy that you saw on television didn't exist anywhere else except right there and that's when i realized the power of of hollywood and why people yeah. are so drawn to going out there because the whole thing's made up it's all like a, it's like a it's just giant magic trick it's an illusion you know i mean i look i look great on camera i, I look like i look like a movie star <laughs> then i get home take off the clothes and the makeup and uh get up in the morning and i, I look like crap like everybody else yeah so yeah so you think like a lot of those hosts like jimmy fallon um like in a lot of those guys they don't actually look like that well they look similar but with the lighting and the makeup Mm -hmm. and the wardrobe and the the way they shoot the show the shots are very uh they're chosen very specifically nothing's by random they look like that but they don't look that good Mm -hmm. in real life in real life you don't have makeup you don't have special lighting you don't have your hair perfect you don't have great looking clothes on all the time um, you know, imagine if you rolled out of bed in the morning and before you brush your teeth, combed your hair, wash your face and try to do a show, you know, that's, that's how the average person, or to say every person lives. But, you know, when you go in to do a, a, a television show and rightly so, you should clean yourself up, put on a nice yeah. jacket, put on a nice shirt, or if you, you know, whatever, tell whether it's a talk show or whether it's a, your broadcasting news, whatever it is, there's a certain image you want to project and and they do it and they they do it very well but here's the interesting thing about uh the deception of hollywood i was hosting that show once and we had a a magician on his name was ed alonzo do you know who he is uh no okay so ed alonzo was trying to create this uh, uh a hook phrase for himself and it was i'm ed alonzo the geeky guy that's it, it didn't go anywhere but that was what he was trying to get off the ground with back in the day so he had this trick that he did where he produced a bird from a seemingly empty cage and it was a pretty good trick he showed us how it worked in in rehearsal he took an egg he took a real egg and he let people examine the egg it was a regular chicken egg and he would say okay that's a real chicken egg and you go yes and then he would palm the egg you know what that means when you palm something you do it like this kind of you, you, you hide it, you cover it oh. from sight. So that he puts it away, he actually palms it so that you can't see it. And then he takes another egg, which 
he removes all of the liquid from the inside of the egg with a with a needle and then put a little piece of tape over it so that you think you're looking at the same egg but now you're actually looking at an empty shell literally an empty mm-hmm. shell so he would he would then walk over to the cage he put his hand in the cage and he would crack what you thought was a full egg he would crack it on the the floor of this cage and this cage had a spring-loaded trap door and it would shoot a bird that was hidden in the floor of the cage up through the broken eggshells and it happened so fast and the bird would flap its wings it looked like this bird literally appeared out of out of an egg it was a pretty good illusion but it was it was a trick so we shot we, we rehearsed the whole thing in uh, uh prior to the show the director saw how it was gonna go he said i'm gonna work this camera gonna do that camera gonna do this camera and then they load the audience in. once they loaded the audience in this guy began to panic this guy had alonzo he started sweating like it's called flop sweat do you know what flop sweat is yeah like when you're kind of sweating all over the place like you have all right just just pouring sweat mm-hmm. i mean it, it it was literally pouring on mm-hmm. it was he was sweating so much that his makeup his face makeup was running into his shirt and it oh, looked God. like he was throwing a bib. I mean, it was staining his shirt. Yeah. And this just this was all in a matter of two, three minutes. So mm-hmm. he does the trick where he gives it the egg to a couple of audience members. He takes the egg, he palms it away, and then he goes, now I'm going to make an egg, a, you know, a bird. He doesn't say, he goes, watch this. And he take he put his hand in the cage, only this time, there was so much sweat all over his hand mm-hmm. and now all over the bottom of the cage that when he went to hit this spring-loaded trapdoor, the bird didn't make it all the way through. The bird only made it halfway through and he panicked and he pulled on the bird and he, and he broke its neck. <laughs> and the bird was screeching. Yeah. And it, 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 it uh-huh. crapped all over the cage. It peed all over him. And, and this... And the, the, the bird is di- literally dying in his hands and it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> and the audience is they're just staring like, what? Oh, my God. And he's still trying to hold it out like, look, I produced a bird. And I'm sitting there and all I could think was, oh, my God, that's the end of the show. Somebody who loves birds is, is going to be protesting. Well, by the time they were done editing it because the show didn't air live. Phew. You never could tell the way they shot this whole sequence of events relative to the way it actually happened. It looked like a completely different show. I could not believe how they covered this whole thing. Like when the bird got got pulled through the um, through the trap door, they actually cut away to the audience. And all they did was take a shot of the audience laughing earlier. And they cut that in so it looked like the audience was laughing at the trick. And then they cut to a really far away shot so you couldn't see that the bird was actually dead. And it was seamless. If you watched it, you would, if you watched it and didn't know what actually happened, you wouldn't have known what went down. And that was, a, that was the second indicator as to, for me, how Hollywood creates the illusion of what's actually going on. Yeah. Makes it look different, makes it look real. It's crazy. So, what are some of your craziest stories from being on the road besides from the. You're only 14. (laughs) 
crazy stories. Um, well, uh, <laughs> one time I was on the road and uh, I got to do this gig up in uh, see up in Reno, Nevada. So a guy says to me, um, "I have this this gig. It's be perfect for you. It's uh, big game hunters. They meet here once a year to to talk about." Uh, big game hunting and uh, meat in Reno and they have this big celebration where they all get together and they eat the they they have this buffet that's made of these crazy game meats that they either trapped or shot yeah and there were things on the on the buffet like uh, mountain lion stew wild boar steaks there was giraffe have you ever tasted giraffe no 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 me neither Somebody shot a giraffe, and uh, there was there was there was rhino ribs. I mean, like stuff you I've never seen anywhere in the world. And so I'm picking at the at the at you know what's what's there because you know what am I going to say? I never I didn't try it. So I the doorman says to me, uh, "How's the food?" I said, "Oh, it's, food's not bad, but I'm a little full full after picking out at the endangered species buffet." So he goes. He goes, oh, that's funny. You should open with that. I said, yeah, you think so? He said, yeah. So like an idiot, I go up on stage and in front of 300 big game hunters, I open up the show with, yeah, I'm full after picking out at the endangered species buffet. And there was silence, just dead silence. And it got worse from there. And for 45 minutes, I stood on stage and I thought to myself, okay, I can, you know, pull the the ripcord on this one, or I can stand up here and see, you know, if I've got what it takes to stand in front of a crowd for 45 minutes of a crowd that hates me and isn't laughing. Well, I stood there for 45 minutes and I did my act and I didn't get one laugh because they'd, they'd already made up their minds. Yeah. They hated me and they weren't going to laugh at anything. So I get off the stage and the guy that booked me, the, the uh, food and beverage manager, he was, he, this guy was really upset. He was actually shaking when I went over to him and he said, uh, so I'm really sorry about the way things worked out. Uh, uh, I know stuff happens. He goes, we're going to get you your check. He said, but, uh, there's been some talk and I don't want to see anyone get hurt. And I looked at him, I said, yeah. get hurt. He said, he said, yeah. So, uh, we have a plane that's going to take you right home. And there's a limo that's waiting outside to bring you right to the plane. And it's going to fly you right back to L.A. And I said, I said, all right, let, let me just go up to my room and get my, my suitcase. He goes, no. He goes, we have, we have two armed guards here who are going to stand here and protect you while they go up. Someone else goes up and gets your suitcase. So why did they get so mad at that joke? I, I think they would like that one. They they had no sense of humor. They were hunters, yeah. and they, you, you, you know, well, I should preface the story with this. But the first 30 minutes of, of this uh, dinner were mm-hmm. these guys bragging about, one by one, they would go up and tell the story about how it was they were able to shoot a rhino or how, or how they were able to bag a mountain lion. They were going up and they were telling these, you know, really amazing stories about tracking things for days in the woods 
and uh, buying the right rifle and getting the right shot, all of this stuff. And, and in one sentence, I basically told them all that they were stupid in their mind. Mm-hmm. So these are, you know what an alpha male is? You know what that yeah, means? Yeah, like they term? think they're like super male. Correct. Correct. These were, this was 300 alpha males and they were looking at me like, how dare you? You know, it'd be like if I was standing in front of a bunch of Navy SEALs and called them all punks. Yeah. You know, you think anything I say after that is going to make them laugh? Mm-hmm. That you're going to go, get this guy out of here. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. That's crazy. So yeah, crazy. one last question. So what's it like? Because you worked a lot in the radio, like dealing with bad guests. Oh, wow. That's a great question. Thanks. Um, you know, the thing I would say the key to working well what's your definition first of a bad guest what kind of like well since like radio i think like you would probably how often do you, do you host like your radio show well i was doing it every day yeah when so I was like doing morning radio i was i was doing it every day Here, i'll give you two examples of of what i had as a bad guest okay uh one was a band that came into the studio and they uh they wanted nothing to do with us they were being really arrogant they were very dismissive. You know, it was obviously our show and they didn't, um, they weren't being respectful. They were, they were like actually throwing digs at us and they were, um, uh, just being very, uh, aloof. So at one point, and this was, I said this on the air, I could, you know, the, we were actually live broadcasting and I said, Hey, listen, why don't you guys leave? And they all went, what? I said, why don't you just leave? And it really shook them because you know, we were actually on the air. They go, what, what are you talking about? I said, you obviously don't want to be here. You're not, you're not, we're here to have fun and play along. You're not. I said, it's our show. You're being very disrespectful. No, no hard feelings. Just go, you know, either play along or get out. And they were like, oh, we're sorry. I don't, okay, I don't know. And they actually dropped all the nonsense that they were carrying on with because they knew what they were doing Mm -hmm. they actually stopped i was surprised i'll give them credit they actually stopped and um then you know became present as i like to say yeah so thank you so very much for being on my podcast it was an honor and delight having you on and before we go is there anything you'd like to promote no there's nothing i want to promote i just want to say um uh how uh how nice it is to see someone like you who is uh doing something they're passionate about mm-hmm. you're uh you're you're obviously good at what you do Thank and you. Uh, i i i can't wait for 10 years from now you call me up and uh or i call you up and go hey uh remember back when do you have yeah. a job for me because <laughs> uh, yeah. i'm i'm really happy for you you're yeah doing thank great you so stuff much and I, I, yeah I, I think you're gonna do very well with this thank you this is your passion yeah um and goodbye and have a great day all right you too, you too. Bye.